Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsifornchai. Well, Eki, brother, it's good to see you again. I love doing these every week, and we have an exciting topic today, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This is um, having to do with uh, missions, not not a topic that we have touched up on until, until now. Yeah, well, before we get started, uh, we've got a guy who's a guest on the show today who has become a dear friend to me, um, and uh, he's a real Alaskan. And so I want to welcome you, uh, Pastor Robert Scott out in Dillingham. Thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get rolling, um, guys always, when they hear Alaska and pastors, um, they, they want to know a little bit more because, you know, we're in the last frontier sort of thing. So, uh, brother, you've been here for quite a, a long time. And so, um, it, you know, for our listeners, they know we just recently planted a church here. So I'm not actually a, a real Alaskan, but you are. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your church, your ministry, uh, where you live, just uh, some of those introductory type things. Okay. So we live, um, we live and minister in Dillingham, Alaska. It's about 330 air miles southwest of Anchorage. It's, ac- it's accessible by, uh, by airplane uh, only. And so that makes it um, what we call a bush village or a rural village in Alaska. We're about, our village is about two-thirds uh, Native uh, Americans, uh, mostly Yupik uh, Eskimos here. And that's a, our village is a hub village. It means it services about 30 villages in our uh, immediate area within about 150 air miles of Dillingham, about 30 villages. Our village has about 2,000 people. That's maybe a little optimistic, but uh, it's the official census. And then it probably serves about another 3,500 in those other 30 villages. So uh, we have the community or the area hospital uh, we have uh, the trooper station, uh, the school, uh, the school district is headquartered here. And so if you think of it in language, like about half of our district, I don't know how the, I haven't looked it up the, the whole thing, but about half of our area is about the size of the state of New Hampshire. So we're about twice the size of the state of New Hampshire with about 5,500 ish people, give or take. And so we've been here for, uh, working almost 13 years, It'll be 13 years. The church called us in 2000, January of 2009. And so uh, we look to minister here uh, to our community, and then we attempt to reach the surrounding communities. Uh, Russian Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox Church has historically been the predominant influence in our area, though the Moravian Church, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, they also had a significant influence. Uh, Moravian Church in our area is evangelical, And so we have a great deal of commonality and we partner and support and encourage them because they, because of their connections historically and traditionally, they're able to, uh, to minister and to, uh, to meet in these areas that I'm simply not invited or have been disinvited from coming. And we share very, you know, the same gospel message. And so we have just looked to do outreach and, uh, and that way as best as we, as best as we can. So. Yeah, well, brother, you said something that was very interested, interesting there. You said areas that you've been disinvited. Um, what are, I mean, we're talking about missions, and there are real difficulties 
um, getting into some of these villages. And, and the episode today isn't specifically about Alaska, but we should point out that there are completely unreached groups of people, even within the U.S. Um, for those, I like to remind people, Alaska is still a U.S. Uh, state. Um, and some of those villages have great difficulties getting in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What, what are some of the uh, challenges uh, for missions getting into the villages? And then we'll talk a little bit about what we mean by and define missions a little bit better. Okay. Well, specific to, to our context, Alaska um, predominantly did not, uh, did not divide natives and Anglos or non-natives uh, through reservations and those kinds. It was, it was uh, agreements. And so they formed their own corporations and so it's private property. It's governed by the same laws and rules and things that we have all throughout the U.S. However, uh, there are uh, they are isolated and they have enclaves, and so uh, they can be very. Um, uh, the right word I think is tribal because they are tribes. Each individual community is a tribe, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, They own a great deal of that property and there are tribal courts. And so there's two ways, I suppose, that that you can say this. So I'm free to go to any of these communities that I want that I that I want to go. I may travel there. I don't need special paperwork and they don't they can't exclude me from that. However, um, that means that does not mean that I'm welcome there. And and so there can be uh, the isolation can very quickly uh, turn into, uh, as I said, uh, being either ignored or, or doing damage. I'll give you a quick example. I'll try to be brief. Uh, when I arrived here, within a few months, our church had cooperated with a, a guy that had joined us as a missions team uh, in, in a previous time, and he was from East Tennessee, and that's a beautiful place and beautiful people. Um, but he was determined God had called him to rural Alaska. And so he went to one of these more rural villages where we had a, a contact and he was determined to plant a church there. And everything up to this point is outstanding. And I want to applaud that. However, in that instance, he decided that he was going to plant an East Tennessee church in one of these rural villages. And so there are some contextual differences, not just, I mean, there are some language barriers, but, but more than that, just the customary traditions that, that are in East Tennessee do not necessarily translate one-to-one in rural Alaska. And so among the first things that happened was a, uh, he held a revival, and uh, an East Tennessee-type revival meeting, and it, it, uh, it was not well-received in the community. Uh, in fact, they, they, they were very uh, antagonistic towards him after that until uh, they, they quite literally told him it was time for him him to leave. And so he could have stayed and that would have been an option. And I, and I certainly, you know, I, I had very little contact with him because we'd only been here for a few months at this time. But uh, my counsel was if no one's listening uh, and if not just they're not hearing you, they're actually not listening to you. Um, there's wisdom in, in realizing you've made some mistakes, you've done some things in error and uh, and perhaps leaving is, an, is, is a, a viable option. So uh, that relationship has caused some estrangement in our church with the surrounding communities. That's done some long-term damage. And so in another community, just a few years ago, I minister because our, our community is a hub community. And so it's very common for people as they come through Dillingham, because if you leave these small villages and you're going to go 
to, to see a doctor here in our village, or you're going to go to Anchorage and go to a, a, a larger hospital, we're the hub that you fly through. And so it's pretty normal to have people in our house because they can't get through, they get stuck, we don't have hotels, and they visit our church. And so because of that, we built relationships. And so I was going to do a Bible study in a village. It's fairly easy to get to by snow machine, could plan to do that once a week. A family wanted to start this in their home. And the village elders said, no, we don't want you to do that. Now, I could have done that. I was not illegal to do that. And some people might pressure me and say, well, you, 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 you know, you drop the ball on that, Rob. But I, I'm here for the long term. And I'm looking at this as a lifetime investment. And so while I have been here for almost 13 years, I still think of myself as a relatively young man. And, and there can be tremendous harm, I think, in forcing yourself uh, into those scenarios where people simply are unwilling uh, to embrace even, even uh, a friendly gesture towards you. And so I was, I was told not to come. And so I, I knew I could come and there, and there would be a part of me. Nathan knows me well enough to Nathaniel knows me well enough to know that, that I don't do well with those kinds of things being taunted. But at the same time, I believe there's wisdom in being invited and so uh, we pulled back. So that answer your question a little bit, Nathaniel? Yeah, I think that's good to hear. And one of the things I wanted to bring out is, uh, although we're in the U.S., and by the way, there are, I mean, there are pockets of people like this in other states in the U.S. I mean, you think of, you talk about Tennessee, uh, you know, I moved from North Carolina. There are entire little pockets of people in the mountains um, of Tennessee and the Blue Ridge Mountain area who would probably respond similarly to people uh, that come from the outside. Um, and, and so in a lot of ways, you know, I have I have a lot of a lot more experience working with groups of people in Africa. And it's very similar. There's a lot of wisdom uh, and prayer necessary in going into those areas. But let's back up a little bit. And we've kind of talked a little bit about this and sort of define missions, because I think um, when you use the term mission, um, you can talk about mission mindedness. You, you can get into the whole everything is missions. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff out there about mission. So um, what do what do we understand uh, as pastors biblically predominantly when we talk about um, missionaries or m- real mission work? And either one of you guys, feel free to jump in and, and talk about that. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, this is, um, it, it depends on how people define it. Um, in one sense, you can say that everyone's a missionary in the sense that we need to share the gospel. And at its very core, I would say it's sharing the gospel with those who need it, who are, who are the lost. Um, but a lot of times we also talk about missions in terms of um, either going overseas into areas where uh, Christianity has not been, um, has not been, the people have not been exposed to what the Bible says, to what the gospel is. And there is an ad- adjustment process where the person going there needs to learn the culture, that the language, um, you know, develop relationships and, and those kinds of things. And on that note, when we consider those challenges, a lot of those challenges are here in the U.S. as well. Uh, various parts of um, uh, of the U.S. Obviously, where you're at, uh, Robert, in, in Alaska, um, I think of places like uh, in Utah, where you go into Utah and it's a completely different kind of culture. And uh, and and it's not as simple as just going out in the streets and, and preaching the gospel. Certainly, it involves that. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done just in terms of building relationships, learning the culture, learning the people, and and trying to figure out um, that the best way to bring the truth to them, that the truth is always the same, but 
but there are different approaches to the truth. And I often talk about, for instance, you look at John chapters three and four, you see the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And then the very next chapter, you see the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. In both cases, he's bringing gospel truths, but he's not doing it the same way um, with, with those individuals. So there is very much um, kind of, and Paul too, you look through the book of Acts, that the way he would address his fellow Jews is not the same way that he addressed the, uh, the, the Gentiles, the philosophers when he was in Athens or in various places. So I think having a, a missions mindset uh, requires a lot more than just a passion to preach the gospel, but it requires a heart that's willing to figure out, um, understand the area, understand what's the best way to approach and, and ultimately to, to bring that truth to them. I would, I would echo everything that Eki has said. I, I would I would say that from my from my perspective, um, some time ago, I um, I understand Ephesians four, the work of an evangelist, and Paul requiring Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. I don't I don't want to cross too many lines here and go too deep, but I I would say that the evangelist is a missionary, and so I think it is a specific calling. I mean, I think there is a general calling for for, for to spread the gospel. But in that calling, it's different than even I would say even, even than pastoral work. There is a, there is a difference to it. Obviously, there's a lot of over overlapping in in the the qualities and and in the work itself. But there is a different demeanor and uh, maybe a different intention, uh, in the intentionality aspect of it. So when I think of uh, doing missions work, I, I, I don't think of everything we do as missions work. I just I don't do that, uh, and that's not to belittle the work we do. It's just to emphasize what is genuinely missionary and what is more pastoral in nature. And, uh, and so I, I try to draw those distinctions. I don't, I don't know if that's helpful for everyone, but that's been useful for me. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, um, I think it was Kevin DeYoung who said, if everything is missions, then nothing is missions. And, and his whole point was to kind of try to define, you know, when we use those terms, biblically. Um, I, I like what Paul Washer recently said. Uh, he was doing a Q&A somewhere. Um, and he was talking about um, where mission should be born out of, um, who are genuinely world mission leaders. Um, and he made a couple statements. And one of them was that the leaders of world missions are elders of local churches. Uh, and I thought that was a very interesting statement um, and a very good statement because I know that I've seen, and brothers, you've probably been exposed to this too, a lot of guys will go on to the mission field um, not having been sent by a church, not connected to a local body, not overseen by anyone, and oftentimes uh, have very little or very poor training. Um, well, Paul Washer went on to say that uh, the reason he believes that is because World Missions is essentially one biblical church with qualified elders training up other elder qualified men and then sending them out with the primary goal of planting churches. Um, and, and I would agree that that is the central uh, aim uh, of a missionary, and which just really ties into what we see um, Paul telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, that, that has to be a huge part of planning a church. Uh, and then, of course, it, we, you know, we talk about being qualified and being mature. And I think if you aren't that, you risk uh, the danger of more likely making errors in situations like you talked about earlier, Rob. Uh, it's not that mature, qualified men can't make those um, those errors. I, I mean, I, I I make errors. We all make errors. Um, but certainly, if you aren't qualified, um, so let's just talk about that for a minute because I know 
I mean, especially in the Southern Baptist world, um, you've got people who are very excited about Jesus, um, who want to evangelize the lost. They want to share the gospel, uh, but they just they just want to go. They're not worried about training. They're not even worried about doctrine. A lot of times they're well-meaning. They're lovely, uh, lovely, well-meaning people who love God, who love Jesus, who love the Bible. Um, is that enough to be a missionary? Yeah, and, and that, I think that's the common misconception um, that you just need to have a heart for the gospel, a heart to want to share. And certainly that is prerequisite. That must be there. Um, but there, there is a misconception that that's all the training you need to go out there. Well, I, and I know from going through the master's seminary, um, the master's seminary only takes on people who have a plan to go into uh, ministry, either as a pastor or as a missionary. And I would say that in comparison to the training that a pastor receives, I think a missionary needs to receive all that same kind of training and then some. Um, because there's a lot that a missionary is going to have to deal with that pastors don't have to deal with when they go and uh, and, and join a church that's that's already been set up and planted. Yeah, I I think the the thing to the distinction I would make is there's things that are essential, but that doesn't mean it's that you're yet sufficient. And so it's an essential characteristic, essential qualities, essential traits that you're going to have to 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 be overwhelmed by. I mean, if if you don't have long ago, Vody Balkum was talking and he just, he, in the, the, the context is the, the conversation was serving in a, in a particular area. And he said, brother, if you're not burning for those, the, the culture that's there, he said, you need to find the culture that you are burning for. Mm. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's wrong. I, I, it took me a while to work through that. And I simply think that means they're just, they're just, I have come to understand there are just people that I have great difficulty communicating with. And, and that's not always my fault. It can be my fault. But it can be it can be just the the nature the 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 context of, of where you're trying to speak, and you can fight that, and certainly you can fit yourself to 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 work in a different context. But I think some of 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 this evangelist is the people that you can minister to, man, you find them, and 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 you hunt for them that they're being ignored or overlooked, uh, sometimes very unwittingly or unintentionally, but they but they've been overlooked. And so I take that as a very uh, a natural gift and, and try to exercise that. But I would never, ever, having seen this fail so many times, never try to convince someone that that desire is sufficient to be missionary. So, so I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick Southern Baptist example to pick on my own brethren again. But uh, we, we have oftentimes have the opportunity to work with summer missionaries. And we once had a, a young man that was in college and uh, and he came to the field. It was kind of, one of those things that was given to me. And and as I talked to him, his thing, well, I just like to see kids happy. Mm. And I went, I mean, I really know what to, I didn't know what to do with that. Like, I mean, I, I did. I mean, obviously, yeah. but I was trying to be kind and I, I, kind I can be. I was trying to be nice. OK. And I did not know how to be nice to this person that their goal to work with kids is because I like to see them happy. I mean. The, the group of people that like to see children happy is a very broad, diverse group, and not all of them do I have any use for at all. Yeah. And so I'd almost lump him in with that group because making them happy is not the purpose of missions. And if and and I he was zealous to making kids happy, but we weren't zealous to bringing the gospel to bear. Not not I mean that's that's presenting it, but it's presenting it, it's declaring it, it's. Uh, Showing it through your own life, through witness, through testimony, and discipling others to receive it and to imitate it. Uh, I, and, and so much of what we call missions is 
and at least in my estimation, somewhat short of a missionary endeavor. Yeah, you know, and I I think of the comparison where we as pastors we always say that we don't want to be um, pragmatic. We don't want to be seeker sensitive, right? Where we're not uh, redesigning our church services in order to appeal to the world. But I, I would say for the missionary, that challenge is even stronger um, because you're going out into a completely different culture. You're not. You don't. You, you probably don't have a church that's well established. You might be the person that has to plant the church, right? And and so you're dealing with um, those same struggles, but on a magnitude that that's much higher. And for the missionary who hasn't been properly trained, who's not theologically sound, you know, we have been hearing so much about how there's a lot of bad theology being exported to other countries. And for instance, poor ecclesiology, you know, if, if a missionary is going out there, uh, that person's on their own, um, they don't have the local support of a church like a person normally would would have if they're growing up within the church. And they could be subjected to all kinds of different attacks without having the support they need to be able to withstand that and to grow through that and to recognize that we are called to do things uh, God's way and, and not merely man's way. And at the same time, we can be overly rigid and, and start um, emphasizing that the wrong kinds of things that we're going to hold firm on, which may not be quite all that important. Uh, we, we tend to think our American way is something that that's so important, but you go to another country and, and that gets completely turned on its head, right? So, I, I think there's a maturity in, in terms of theology where someone is going to need to, as, as you mentioned, if you have a love for the people, you're going to, it's going to help you withstand some of those, uh, some of those struggles and then continue to want to reach out to them. But at the same time, theologically, to make sure that you don't step on a landmine and, uh, and then end up creating something that, per, you know, that, that ends up bringing a false gospel altogether because you were just trying to satisfy the people. Yeah, I, I spoke with a young couple, I don't know, maybe now four or five, six weeks ago, um, who came to Alaska specifically with the aim to go into one of the villages. And, and lovely people, again, uh, love God, love the Bible. The problem is they just, uh, they, they love a God that they don't know very well. Um, and they're aiming to go into, uh, and, the, and they love a Bible that they don't know very well, and they're aiming to go into one of these villages, which they do have access to um, within the next year or so. And really, it was, heartbreak. it was heartbreaking because um, they, they have no training. Um, what they're doing now, you know, will, will just make them ill-prepared. Um, but beyond that, right, they didn't have anyone really... Um, to help them understand the need for solid biblical training for themselves. And part of that is because they have little understanding of what missions is. So their goal is not to go into this place um, and, and, and to help see a, a healthy church planted there. Um, in fact, the conversation was so convoluted, I couldn't quite figure out exactly what they were going there for. Uh, it sounded a bit more like, well, a lot of what we hear. Uh, I love God. I, I want to tell people about the gospel. Send me somewhere where, where there's a little gospel. Um, but the, the problem is, if missions is centered around, or at least has the aim of seeing healthy biblical churches planted out of healthy biblical churches, then really you need to have um, seminary-level training. Now, I, I say that, um, but what I don't mean is it has to be formal, um, but you need to have that kind of training. You need to be able to train and equip other men uh, to such a level that they're also qualified. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't go on the mission field. Um, or 
you should go uh, attached to a church or a ministry that's already there with the aim and be a support uh, rather than the primary person. Um, it speaks to that. What, what do you guys uh, feel about that? Do you have any experiences with that? Uh, you know, if, if someone was going to come to your church, uh, Eki, to help out, I mean, you would have the same expectations. If someone wanted to come to you, uh, Rob, and do ministry there, I mean, is that the kind of thing that you would look for, that you would hope for, in addition to all the wisdom? Because in reality, uh, once you get onto the field, you, you, there are a lot of things you can learn. Um, you, you can gain, if you have some wisdom, you can pick up things that you need on the field. But what you can't pick up while you're on the field is the education you should have gotten before you got there. So this is a, this is a multifaceted question, right? It, it was like 10 it's questions like, in one. No, it's, it's, it's fine. No, I, I'll try to be brief and just a couple of the things that, that strike at me is I believe that in general, in general, I think uh, when we're talking about Christianity in the West, which is what I'm most familiar with and where I live, uh, there's an attempt to do almost everything apart from theology. And so it's not endemic just to missionary work, though it's clearly in missionary work. It's actually endemic in, in, our, in our practice and in, in all that we do for God, whether it be, you know, I'm, it embarrasses me to talk among pastors that that not only are not convicted, they don't know the difference between the regular principle and the normative principle. They don't even know the difference in it. We don't now, even don't, talk about that anymore. I don't, I don't even care if, I mean, I, I do care, but I, it doesn't, I'm not, uh, and I'm not I'm dumbfounded if someone has different convictions than I do, is that they don't even think it's something to consider. And I would argue that is, I mean, that's a very fundamental aspect of being a Christian. Has God ordered how he's to be worshipped? Or can we just do anything we want to that he doesn't prohibit to be worshipped? That's a, I mean, that's just a very fundamental aspect. And, I, and I'm just using that as an example. So, so when, I was, when I was younger and much more naive than I am now, the idea of someone to help always sounded awesome. And for about six months, anyone that wanted to help, I thought this is incredible. And then I realized that's not nearly, that's, that doesn't, I don't care anymore. I mean, I, I'm glad you want to help. And we'll let you help as we see where, where are your gifts, where are your callings, where are your gifts, and where is your discipline, right? I mean, where is your discipline? Because, I mean, the, some of the best elders that I know have largely no formal training, but they're outstanding men of God. They, they love the scriptures. Uh, they're men that are devoted to their flock. And, and so, but, and, they're, and, and, by, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that they're not articulate and, and clear in their faith. They just don't have seminary training. So I think it's wise in, in certain aspects to afford yourself a seminary training. I did that, and I'd encourage others to pursue that in certain scenarios. But it's not nearly the only way. But to be competent is, is it's not just valuable. It's essential, right? This is an essential thing. And I believe there's a great deal of work that, people hope to do in the church because they get, perhaps they get a genuine call. Perhaps God has placed upon them the genuine gifts, but they simply lack the discipline, uh, personal discipline uh, to, to, to fulfill that calling and gift. And they just go out with a calling with none of the preparation and work that goes alongside it. And, and that is ever going to end in failure. I mean, we, we, we see that in the new Testament. We, we see that in our own new Testament churches. And so, I, I want to be. I want to be cautious. We have to be. We have to have a calling, but the training is 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 
absolutely as significant. And it's, it's not one or the other, right? I mean, it is, yeah. it is both yeah. and. God doesn't just call people. He calls them and prepares them, you know, provides for their ability. So, yeah, and, and I think some people might have a hang-up over the emphasis upon seminary. I mean, I've been through seminary. Um, I, I'm very thankful for all that I've been taught. I think it has prepared me well. Um, but I think when we go to the scriptures, the word that we see is discipleship, right? So, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, and, and that includes not only baptizing, but teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we know in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that's when Paul tells Timothy, what you have heard from me, you entrust to others so that they, they may be able to teach others, which is both a model of discipleship for the church as well as missions work, right? And, uh, and so, I, I think the key here is that when we talk about training, it means that you've been discipled by one who is able to train you for that task. And Paul clearly discipled uh, Timothy for that task. That's when you read through the first and second letters of Timothy, you know, you, you see the, the, the fingerprints of all that training all over those, uh, those letters. And so, that's, that's the person that Paul is entrusting to be able to carry the torch forward. So, it, it may be a seminary training. It might not be, but if it's not, then, then it should have come at your local church by someone who is actively discipling you, and it should have been over a period of time. You know, we remember that the disciples who started the church in the book of Acts, um, they weren't just dropped there from day one and say, okay, go ahead and get it started, but they were being discipled by Jesus actively for three years, um, and then they received the Holy Spirit and went out remembering all that Jesus had taught, went ahead and, and uh, proclaimed the gospel. And, and even the Apostle Paul, when he was saved, he didn't immediately go out and just go on to these missionary trips, but he went away for years um, to, to get trained before he finally came back and uh, was sent out by the Holy Spirit from the church in Antioch. So, there is a, a, a need for training. And uh, when people go out there without that theological training, because I think the mistake that people make is that all you need is the gospel. No, you don't just need the gospel. You need the full counsel of God. Because yeah, the full counsel yeah. of God is going to prepare you for the attacks that you're going to face, how you are to respond, and especially when it comes to starting to plant churches, having a solid ecclesiology, understanding the offices that have been that have been um, provided by Jesus Christ to the church, and 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 having the wisdom to know who you're going to put into those positions. That you're not going to put women to those positions. You're not going to put brand new believers and make them into the leaders of the church. This, this is a time-consuming process, and even the most Probably the most uh, mature church in the New Testament was the church at Ephesus, and that was largely because Paul spent three years there. Acts chapter 20, he talks about how three years I was with you day and night, uh, pleading with you in tears. And that's that was the result, and that's where Timothy ended up uh, ministering, and, and we saw letters even from John being written to the uh, church at Ephesus. So, th this is this is a long-term kind of opportunity. It's It's requires all of the Word of God, um, and, and it requires training and, and discipleship from those who are more mature and proven in the faith. And, and we remember that the qualifications for people that fill those positions of eldership, um, being an overseer, being a pastor, um, you're not looking for someone that's brand new in the faith, but someone who has proven, someone beyond reproach and has had time to be able to show the, the fruit of the Spirit in their patience, in their uh, lack of belligerence, and, and all those kinds of qualifications. Uh, that that we see 
Yeah, that's good. And so, you know, just to reiterate for like the fourth or fifth or sixth time now, you know, the the point is that you need to be qualified uh, before you're sent out as a missionary. And that can either be by way of formal training um, or informal. But uh, I mean, these are very real things. Um, You know, I know when I was young, uh, when I first started going to Africa, um, it, it was God's grace. I did that in the context of my local church because you know, I think as it was Vodi who said a lot of people are passionate about a Jesus they barely know, and that was certainly true for me. Um, and it, you, it, but I had you know our pastor and the elders with me to kind of guard all the damage that could have been done. Um, and we just so often don't really think about that. I mean, what we're looking for is the scripture is very clear, and this kind of comes back to talking about the regulative principle. Um, it, what has God? said in terms of his requirements for um, leading his church, for leaders in the church. And, and he's given those to us. They're very clear. They're, they're not difficult to understand. In fact, you you just have to want to misunderstand them to misunderstand them. Um, and it's not a um, out of some legalistic thing. And we're not looking for perfection because none of us would ever um, obtain to that uh, but those characteristics, those qualities have to be there. Um, and it's okay if you take years uh, to get there. Don't be in such a hurry to get onto the mission field that you do damage um, because you didn't take those things serious enough. And so we're going to talk about this. Uh, I want to I want to kind of go to the other side. We've talked, I think, a little more on the positive side, what we look at, what we desire, what scripture uh, you know, says, but I want to talk a little bit about the kind of damage that um, we can see if these things are ignored, uh, because I think it's very real. Um, and we probably see that more often than not. I know uh, in Africa, I, I mean, the, 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 the theological shallowness that gets exported into Africa quite literally kills people. Um, and it, it's heartbreaking. Um, and so let's talk a, l- a little bit ab- about that. What are some of the dangers? Um, what are some of the consequences of either as a pastor, as a church, sending people into the field who just aren't ready, um, or as someone not connected to a church who's qualified, just jumping in? So, Our work, our work in the gospel, our work for God, we simply don't take it seriously enough. It becomes um, a step, a piece, uh, something. It, it becomes a component of what we are rather than the totality of what we do. And you see that because I'm going to just go on. I mean, so... Oftentimes, when you have someone that's ill-prepared theologically, that's not where they're ill-prepared. <laughs> their, their methodology is pathetic. Uh, they've, they've, not ex- they've not extended enough time in, in, in praying and being dependent upon God. They just have, they just have, it's not one thing that's out of order there. Now, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that a person that has a right theological understanding is going to have all their ducks in a row. I'm just saying that if you're missing the backbone of what you're doing, the flesh, even if you had it there, you wouldn't be able to find it. It'd just kind of be in lumps and and whatnot. And so, what I find is that if you're not prepared for those things, certain things like syncretism is just naturally going to happen because you don't have 
you, you don't have the mechanism in place to prevent that. So what you're going to do is, I mean, inevitably, is you're going to have churches that look a lot like you look, but think totally different. And what I think we ought to strive for is churches that look very different than the way we look, but think and believe the same way. And that's a much more challenging, uh, a much more challenging process is to look at a culture and say, you don't need to change the way you dress. I mean, you need to be modest. There, there are these print, there are these theological principles of culture that are over that 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 are overarching. But the language you speak and the food that you eat and the houses, I mean, all the there, there's there's so many things here. You just don't we don't even need to talk about those things. Those not those are insignificant things. But the things that you believe, those are the things that shape eternity, right? The things that God has revealed. And it's very simple if you don't know a great deal about what God has revealed to focus on the things that just don't matter. In our, in our context, that has happened. And, and without just bludgeoning the Russian Orthodox Church, it's, it's a very syncretistic faith here in Southwest Alaska. Other enclaves may be different, but, but here in Southwest Alaska, um, they just reappropriated certain traditional practices or beliefs and then they've come in and they've, you know, they've sanctified something. They've, they've consecrated ground or a building, uh, those kinds of things. But largely, the belief added in Jesus to it, basically the kind of sprinkled of Jesus into it. And, uh, and that is much more damning than, than our church has recognized. And so that bad work, uh, that's an evil thing. I mean, it's a terribly challenging thing to undo, to, to suggest to someone that, well, well, God doesn't say that. Well, my priest said he did. I understand what your priest has said, but the, God himself has said this. And you open the scriptures to them, but they're already, can we say that they're already vaccinated against these things now? And it's a fairly effective vaccination. And so uh, it's just a that idea of syncretism, apart from the gospel, apart from knowing it, you're just going to naturally, that's a, that's a pitfall. You're just going, it's going to get you every time because you don't know what else to do. I mean, what, what else, I mean, what else are you going to say? If you, if you don't have a full orbed, if you don't have the whole counsel of God, if you don't have yeah. a full orbed gospel that you can bring to bear at every point in someone's life, whether uh, uh, whatever sin is ravaging mm-hmm. a person. If you can't bring the gospel to bear on that, yeah. if you can't display that to them and, and, and plead with them to receive the gospel, what else are you going to sell them? Because you're going to do something. I mean, a lot of these people aren't necessarily lazy. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to lump that on the quality, but but ineffective and and maybe worse than that, damning. I mean, they're very effective sometimes, just not effective towards the gospel. Hmm. Yeah. Let, let me talk about a domestic example, and then I'll, I'll take it to a foreign example. I, I remember the church that my wife attended when I first met her. I, I went there, and, uh, and and the theology was, it was shallow. It wasn't heretical, but it was shallow. And I remember at the end of the service, the pastor made an altar call, called people forward, um, which, okay, that's fine, but it's what he said next that, that grieved me. He brought them forward, had them say a prayer, and then he told them, said, I got good news for you. Um, all of you guys are going home with the Holy Spirit. And, and I groaned uh, because we know, biblically speaking, factually speaking, just because someone claims to know Christ doesn't mean they know Christ. Uh, we just don't know that. 
Um, and the proof uh, that the fruit of that is going to be shown through their life. Do they persevere in the faith from that point forward? But there are so many people that have been fed this kind of shallow theology um, that uh, the moment you respond to an altar call, the moment you say a sinner's prayer, um, you're saved no matter what happens after that. And, and then you get people that never attend a church. They, they go off, they get lost in the world. They, they get lost in drugs or their own sin and whatnot. But they always remember that pastor who told them that they're saved and that they have the Holy Spirit. Now, Let's uh, multiply that and, and recognize that there are a lot of churches doing that, and there are a lot of churches sending out missionaries with that kind of thinking. Uh, my parents live in Thailand. That's where my roots go back to, Thailand. And Thailand has had no shortage of missionaries throughout the years. For a long time, they've had missionary after missionary. There's still a ton of missionaries in Thailand. Um, but for those of the, the people that I trust who, who understand the word of God, that the biggest challenge in Thailand is finding a good, solid church to attend. Um, because a lot of the churches there, they're very universalistic. Um, in other words, they they, they kind of mesh together with, with the culture and, and they welcome people who believe that there are multiple roads to heaven and that Christianity is just part of a piece of that puzzle. Um, or there are churches that are um, overly charismatic. It, it's really driven by feelings and, and emotions and, and just how you feel, or similarly, kind of a health, wealth, and prosperity that, that God wants you to be rich and happy. You know, it's kind of like what you mentioned, Robert, how someone will say, well, I just want the kids to be happy. It's a, it's a similar kind of thinking when it comes to like the health, wealth, uh, prosperity movement. So, the, the end result of having all of these missionaries over the years being sent to Thailand, but with bad theology, is that there are no solid churches. And because there are no solid churches, even the people that live there that are exposed to these churches or know about these churches don't have even a right understanding of what Christianity is all about. You know, there's a lot of people that may decide not to come to my church or your church, but at least they know that the Bible is being proclaimed. If they don't come, they come because they don't want to hear the Bible proclaimed. They don't want to hear the true gospel proclaimed. And, and that's better than someone seeing something that's completely false and having a misunderstanding of what that really is. Yeah. I mean, these things do quite a great deal of damage. I mean, I, I have not had a chance to verify some things that I've heard here about Alaskan villages, but, and Rob, you could probably speak to this, but, um, you know, there are times where because someone goes in ill-equipped with poor doctrine, poor theology, by the way, uh, just to say, um, it, it if you love the Bible, then you have to love doctrine, right? These aren't ugly, scary words. Theology, what you understand about God, everyone has a theology. Um, doctrine is just simply teachings, right? And so, they, if someone's of the mindset, well, I just, I don't need that doctrine stuff. I need Jesus. Well, then you, you aren't ready for the mission field because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, uh, you know, there are instances that I've heard of where, well, I, you mentioned it earlier, Rob, guys who have gone on, uh, gone in um, with poor theology, really make it harder and for anyone to come in behind them. And some of these places, I mean, truly just don't have the gospel at all. Um, now, I, I say that understanding that uh, we trust God to get in those places and um, no damage a man, uh, no damage that a man could do can out um, do God's purpose, right? And God can get us in those places, but it's stuff that we have to think about. Um, and uh, I know I mentioned earlier, bad doctrine in a lot of other places literally kills people. And I'll just share a brief uh, story of this kind of thing. Um, I, I hate, and hate is not really nearly a strong enough word, uh, the, the prosperity gospel. Um, when you go to Africa, 
In fact, I recall um, working in one of the villages that we were working in, um, you know, I've held children who are now dead because they starved to death. Uh, and then guys like Benny Hinn will come in and, and they'll say things like, um, well, it, whatever you give today, uh, whatever, how much ever money you give today, God's going to increase it tenfold in the next 14 days. And I was at a place where uh, he did that. Um, and I watched guys who I knew came from that same village go up and, and you just know they give they gave everything they had. Right. Because it's a lottery. Um, poor theology kills people. Um, n- now th- they have their own responsibility. We're not removing that. Um, but, but there does have to be a seriousness in that. And then beyond that, um, I mean, look at the warnings in scripture of those who preach and teach. I, I mean, really the, the great problem is we have no fear of God. And so we're quite happy uh, to go not knowing scripture or quite happy to send guys who don't know scripture because we have no fear of God. Uh, especially in the American church anymore. Um, you think about uh, a millstone being tied around someone's neck, the threat of um, you know having your name blotted out from the book of life and the book of Revelation, those things, serious warnings if you're going and you're going to be teaching uh, the things of God, uh, there has to be a right fear of God in you. And if that's not there, then please don't go to the mission field. Stay home. Learn, grow, uh, serve in your local church, but don't go into the mission field. Uh, you'll just do a lot of damage. Um, I mean, we're supposed missionaries should be those that, while not perfect, others look at on the field and see that there is something utterly and totally different about this person. You don't view the world the same way. There's a reverence for this God in whom you're speaking. Um, when you speak of the gospel, it's um, it, it's almost a, a tangible that you live in this world which you're proclaiming, and you just I, I don't know that you can communicate that if you don't have the fear of God, if um, you don't have a desire to be holy. Um, and, and if you have those things, then you'll love the Bible enough to get the training. Uh, otherwise, you, you do untold amounts of damage. Um, well, uh, brothers, we've got just a few more minutes. And so I, I, I would ask you, we'll start with Rob and then Eki, you can jump in there. I really want to speak to two groups of people. So w- what would you say, one, to the church who maybe they've not really considered the importance of these things, um, but they are either sending guys in the mission field or they're looking to do that. What would you say to those elders, those pastors? Um, and, and then secondly, what would you say to the person who wants or has the desire to go and be a missionary? I always want to encourage God's servants because there is enough discouragement in this world with the sin and the evil that is everywhere to become um, despondent. And good servants, the history of the church, when you look at Judson and Pate, I mean, there's so many, these are guys that struggle, man. And they, they, they didn't just struggle missionary. They were, their journals, they struggled. It was hard. And I don't want to be, I don't want to place another burden on a brother's neck uh, or a church because, you know, we are not going to do this right. And what I mean, if we're not going to do it, my goal is to do it well, right? To do it with conviction and as clearly as I can see it in the scriptures and know that even as I look and and I recognize what God has said, and I can see that, and I want him to help my unbelief. I just continue to struggle with that. I mean, I I, I know that's coming. So, 
when I hear this and people say, well, say, well, they'll say to me, they'll, 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 they'll want to know, well, how do you do it the right way? I was like, well, <laughs> I, I'm not going to write a book on it. Okay. That's not what I'm going to do. Um, but what I would encourage you to do is to read the book on it and to be dedicated to the message that God has revealed there as foolish as, as foolish as it sounds to you that you walk up to anyone anywhere and you tell them that same message. I don't have anything new to offer you, but I do have this. Okay. I do have this. The Lord Jesus perfectly kept the law of God, perfectly kept the law of God, satisfied his father in every aspect of his life and heart. He has died for sinners in their place as a perfect sacrifice because of his absolute obedience. You can go on, right? Brother, the people that I talk to me often talk to, they look at me and they think, I'm just hungry. I know you're hungry and I want you to be fed, but you've got to listen to this message. This is why I'm here. Yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm, I'm going to. And there's a, there's a heart, there's a desire to do that. But man, if you get that out of sorts, you know, pretty quickly, pretty quickly, you're going to, I don't care what kind of, how devoted the church is to sending missionaries at the end of the day, you're not going to produce what you had hoped to at the beginning. And so I want to encourage people in, in all these struggles. I mean, I, I don't want, I'm not trying to dissuade people from going. I, I mean, I, I, there are certain individuals I would dissuade. Okay. But as a general rule, when someone says they want to be a missionary, man, I want to do what I can to help them. And, and, and I want to find out what that is, right? Now, help them doesn't mean to get them in the field. Help them means to, to do what they need in that moment, in that place. What can I do for their next step? Um, and I, would in, I, I, I want to encourage that, but I don't, want to be, uh, I don't want to be overzealous that certainly there are, a lot of, there, there are a lot of people that are serving that have not been called. And they would say, how do you know? Well, that's obvious to me because I look at what you're doing, yeah. and and I don't want. And if well, that's judgmental, of course it is. Of course it's judgmental. And uh, and can I do less than that? Would I be loving to you to tell you that what you're doing is continue on? You know, <laughs> continue on your on this path. I, I can't do that. And so, um, as a church that will do this, I'll tell you, it will not breed friends in in a lot of ministry positions because when you call and you tell a church or you visit uh, someone that's doing this work and you explain to them where they're in error. It's not been my observation that people say, thank you. All right. They mostly, they react in a very uh, combatant way. Like, well, how, how dare you? I see you do stuff wrong too. Brother, if you see me do stuff wrong, I want to hear it. Now I get it. I'm not always thank you as well, but I do. I genuinely want to hear that. And so as I'm obligated uh, to bring that to these other churches, I, I just want to encourage uh, us to be useful that way as we cooperate with one another. We're not helping one another if we allow us to do things foolishly. That's not, that's not cooperating and helping. And, I, and I, you would pick on the American church because that's our context and, and, and I, we've got lots of things to pick on. But this is not something that any particular contextual church has done perfectly. Every church has struggled with this and have, has been flawed and riddled with mistakes. And so well, I don't want to just, you know, say, oh, man, we're great. You know, that's awesome. At the same time, I want to recognize that, you know, we're, <laughs> we're part and parcel of, of a system that's failed. We serve a savior that's not. And so we want to make much of him and, uh, and do that again and again and again. As far as for an individual, uh, I would encourage any individual to be, as, as Ekia said, you, you, 
you cannot follow Christ apart from a local church. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian apart from a local church because the, the glory of Christ covers a multitude of sins, but you cannot be a God-serving Christian apart from a local church. And, uh, and so there's a lot of, I've known missionary-ish people that are running from local churches and that's why they're missionaries. So I would be really, really cautious about encouraging uh, that individual that is distancing himself from a, a good local church, man. It fixes a lot of ills. doesn't fix everything. Christ is our answer, but his power and spirit working through the local church is a wonderful corrective. Amen. Yeah, amen to what uh, Robert said. And and just to add to that, uh, yeah, a missionary shouldn't be one who's running away from the church. He's an extension of that church. He is reporting to that church. He is taking those church values somewhere else to to uh, implement them. And, and I think this, I mean, for the pastor that wants to send out missionaries or, or the elders that want to send out missionaries, my the first question that comes to mind is, is your church a solidly theologically based church that, that studies the Word of God, that teaches the Word of God, that trains people out of the Word of God, not trains people in man's methods? Because if your church is not the, theologically sound, if it has engaged in, in world, worldly ideologies, um, that the man-made wisdom of the day, I don't want that church sending missionaries. It's as simple as that. Um, and so for the elder that may be hearing this, I, I would say, um, look at your church. Um, first of all, are you a solid theological church that values the word of God as being authoritative, sufficient, and, uh, and, and perfect? Right. If if you're not a church that where that's not the clear testimony, then don't send missionaries. And in fact, I would say for now, you guys need to really work on reform from within and really try to work on making that church a church that glorifies God God's way. It's kind of like what Robert said. There's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, when we bring the gospel, it's the same gospel that has been brought from the beginning of the church, and it's the same thing in terms of everything, in terms of what God has called us to do, the way He's to be worshipped, the way we're to conduct ourselves. It has always been the same because God has always been the same, and and so we we don't want to get caught up in the fads and fashions of the day, in, in man's added wisdom and in all of this kind of business uh, strategies and all that kinds of stuff. The pastor is not a CEO. The missionary is not a CEO. They're, they're a servant of God. And so, we, we need to work on reforming a church that is not theologically sound. And then for the ones that are theologically sound, my question would be, are you sending people who are theologically trained? Um, they're trained, they're walking with the Lord, they've been discipled. Um, that, that is the requirement there. And if they're not, then I would challenge them to, to really apply what they believe is important within the church to make sure that applies to the missionaries they send out. Because those missionaries are, are not just people who are just zealous uh, for the gospel. They absolutely must be zealous, but they need to have the same solid foundation that you're... If, if you don't trust that person to be able to, for instance, plant a church in somewhere else in the U.S. to and, and implement all the same theological principles, then what are you doing sending them out as a missionary, right? So, uh, I would encourage those who are a part of solid theological churches to make sure that people that they send out are theologically trained. And for the person that wants to go out as a missionary, um, I, I echo what, uh, what, what Robert said. You want to encourage them. You don't want to discourage them. But to encourage them is to encourage them to do this God's way. Um, you know, there, there is no shortcuts. 
You know, I mean, the, the first missionaries that we saw sent out from Antioch Church, it wasn't just the new convert. It was Barnabas and, and, and Paul, right? I mean, I mean, these were people that, uh, that were seasoned at that point and, and ready to go out. And, uh, and then even the argument that happened over Mark was because of something that he had failed to do while they were on that missionary journey. So, do this God's way. Trust in God's timing and purpose. And, and my encouragement to them is get trained by solid people. Um, if you have to go to a seminary to do that or if you have to find a good church that that is strong in discipleship um, find some good godly men that you can serve under um, don't be so in, uh, impulsive and and uh, perhaps um, trusting too trusting in your own zeal that you can go out there and weather all the attacks that are coming against you um, the Christian walk is um, is a marathon it's not a sprint um, so so treat this as as one step of the progression. And and just as we wouldn't send people into the battlefield who have not been trained, uh, we don't want to send people right into the middle of, of darkness where missionary work, where real hardcore missionary work needs to be done. Don't send people out there who have not been trained as well. So I, <clears throat> for those who have um, that heart and zeal, I would say that's wonderful. I, I would say go get trained. Um, find some, find, find a good seminary, find a good church that's training people, get trained to learn those things because you might find in the process that this is not for you. And we've seen that for those of us who've been to seminary, we've seen a lot of people get started and one, two, maybe even three years after they, even after they've completed, they realize this is not for them. Well, that, that, that's a good thing, you know, that they discover that afterwards rather than discovering that while they're in the mid, middle of the missions field, right? So, um, so that would be my message to the, the church, the elders, as well as those interested. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Y- y- you know, just just to add, it's already been said multiple times, but I, I would encourage churches, um, y- you know, make sure you yourself hold to the inerrancy of the authority, especially the sufficiency of scripture. I think in our in our world today, there's no greater battle than the battle for the sufficiency of scripture. Um, do you really believe the scripture sufficient? Um, and, and if as a church, you, you, you say that, but you can be honest enough to come to the conclusion that maybe you don't really function that way, then go back to Eki's advice. It, don't send missionaries yet. Work on that in your own context. Um, and, it, you know, as a church, you need to be committed to sola scriptura. I mean, that's just got to be there. Um, and then beyond that, I think the only thing I, I would add is um, it, make sure the person you're sending into the field, uh, you, you would want as an elder in your own church. If, if there's anything about that person where you say, no, we, we wouldn't bring him on as an elder in our church. We wouldn't uh, trust the people God's given us to shepherd um, with this person. Then that's not someone you should be sending into the field. Um, and, and I think uh, the, these other brothers are very encouraging. I want you to have the fear of God. Uh, and I know they do too. Um, but it, if you can't look at the person and say, yes, we actually, in fact, we would rather and love to have him as an elder here, but we know, but we know he's called and we're going to send him, um, th- then you still have work to do with that person. And, and I'm not saying just cut them off, but I'm saying um, if, if that's not uh, where they are, th- then they're just not ready yet. And uh, if for the guys going on to the field, yeah, I, I you need the fear of God. Um, we're going to mess things up, as has been said. Um, you're going to do things wrong. You need lots of God's grace, and not only do you need it, but you have it. Um, but it, sometimes doing the wrong things can cause significant and dire human consequences. And so you need the fear of God. 
beyond that, I, I let me just give you some literature. I always have everyone who says to me, uh, either I feel called to be a pastor, a leader in the church missionary. I always actually give them a copy of Spurgeon's lectures to my students. You read that book, read that book. Um, and if at the end of that book, uh, everything in you still um, cries out that you want to be on the field, that you you want to be a missionary, um, then start that process with your pastor, with your elders, get trained, get equipped. Uh, but if you read that book and, and, and that zeal, that desire fades away, um, then don't go into the field. Uh, I think it's a good, uh, just a good resource. Um, he goes through so much good stuff. What your life should look like, uh, what it what it looks like, um, how do you gauge whether you're called or not, and just all of those things. It's a good book, uh, Charles Spurgeon's lectures to my students. So I'd recommend those things. Oh, brothers, uh, it's been good. I hope that uh, for you guys listening, that this has been helpful. Uh, just to reiterate uh, two things: we want people to go into the mission field. We we desperately need people in the field. We need solid churches. There, there's no um, uh, there's no shortage of church buildings, but there's a huge shortage of solid biblical churches. Uh, there are groups and villages um, all over the place who have no church. Uh, we've got one just very close to us, um, and we're not even in Bush, Alaska. Uh, they, they have no church, um, but we want to see uh, guys go who can weather the storms or at least have the best chance of weathering the storms and who are doctrinally solid. Um, so we hope you've been blessed by the podcast. We hope that it's helpful to you. Uh, feel free to uh, send us an email. Those will be in the show note links. Um, thank you brothers for coming on. Uh, Robert, appreciate you, brother. Thank you for joining us. Good to see you again, Eki. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.